last section in Matthew chapter 6, running from verse 25, the passage headed, Do not worry, do not worry. Worrying is one of those respectable sins. Uh, we, we don't really rate it as being particularly serious. Uh, think about it. Uh, we would often say about someone, Oh, she's a terrible worrier, isn't she? And it, you would never say of somebody in the same way, Oh, she's a terrible liar, isn't she? <laughs> or, she's a terrible thief, isn't she? These other categories, the second and third categories, we think of, they're really serious. You know, telling lies and stealing, they are, they're a big deal. That's something that's really something you, you ought to be addressing and not making light of. But worrying, well, you know, it's something that we all do, which, which we do, and therefore it can't be that bad. Poor people and rich people, young and old, mature, immature people, all worry. However, as one of the, the commentators, Matthew Henry, points out, Jesus warned about our attachment to worldly things and cares more than any other thing. Uh, so, right at the outset, it's important to see that this is a real spiritual issue. This isn't the kind of matter that you might read about in a lifestyle magazine, uh, how to worry less and to enjoy life more. That's how the, the secular world may perceive it, but it's not how Jesus sees it. Worrying is a sin, something that we're warned against. Let's have some clarification, though, first of all, and let's make sure that we understand what it is that Jesus has his sights on. The Lord does not condemn people for thinking responsibly about the future. Someone who leaves their house unlocked, laughs at the idea of home insurance, someone who's unconcerned that their teenage children uh, never come back in uh, before midnight, isn't displaying <coughs> trust in God. That person is being irresponsible. And there is a level of concern, call it what you will, that's necessary for us to live as Christians. But what is wrong is when a person fixates, obsesses over some uncertainty in their life. Maybe their job. Okay, you're, you're in work, but because of a downturn, people around you are being laid off. And you can't stop worrying about it. You know, I'm going to be next. I know I am. Uh, you know, the, the, the peg is wobbly on the map for me. I'm going to go, definitely. And you're thinking about that 24-7. Or someone's worried about the household budget. And she's gone beyond the, the stage of being careful and prudent to allowing the concern to take over her life. She's constantly going online to check on what's in the bank. Uh, concern about money surfaces in every conversation. She spends so much time surfing for bargains on the internet that the family are actually beginning to become overlooked. Here's somebody else, and they're getting up in years, and they're worried about the future. Who's going to look after them when they're not able to look after themselves? Will the family turn their backs on them? Will friends be around to support them? 
These are the kind of things that Jesus is forbidding. Not a proper responsibility, but an unhealthy preoccupation with things that are beyond our control. Now, having made that clarification, having said what Jesus is speaking about and what he's not speaking about, we need to make clear that this is a spiritual matter. This isn't a temperamental issue. This is not uh, something which is akin to somebody being extrovert as opposed to be introvert. This is something which is clearly forbidden by Jesus and therefore because it's forbidden comes into the category of being a sin if we persist in it. And it's sinful for a number of reasons. We can name three. First of all, it points to our worldliness. And it's important to notice the word therefore <coughs> verse 25. Whenever you see the word therefore in your Bible reading, it's always useful to ask the question, uh, what is the therefore therefore? You know, why is it here? It, well, it's pointing back, isn't it? It's making a logical connection between what has been said already. And what Jesus has been talking about in the previous section is treasures on earth. You know, you can have treasures in heaven where you're making uh, the work of the Lord your focus, or you can have treasure on earth where you're building up and accumulating material things. To be worrying about your career, your food and drink, your clothes and so on, is to reveal an unhealthy attachment to these things. Remember last week, uh, those of you here last week, that we said if you want to recognise whether you have your treasures on the earth, ask yourself, what are the things that my mind drifts to? What do I think of first thing in the morning? What do I think of when I'm daydreaming? That's very revealing. And when also we worry about the loss of these things, uh, and if the potential loss of material things would rob us of our peace and create anxiety, then we have laid up treasure on earth. We've attached to the wrong kind of treasure. So worry can actually be an indicator of our worldliness. Secondly, uh, when we worry, we have shown that we have not taken to heart the character of God as Father. He is our Father who is in heaven, who loves us and is more than able to provide all that we need. It's very, very interesting that the Sermon on the Mount uh, continually refers back to God as Father. Interesting too, just count the number of times the word Father is used. That tells us something, doesn't it? It tells us that our, our whole psyche, our whole way of, of thinking, our, our worldview should be shaped by the fact that we have a Father in heaven who is good and caring and committed to us as no earthly father ever could be. And if we are unwilling to stop worrying, it shows that we're unwilling to believe in that fact that God is well disposed to us and able to provide for us. And then thirdly and closely related is the fact that if we worry, we show that we're unwilling to submit to God's sovereign purposes for our lives. When we worry about the future, we're, we, we really are fixated about the way that we want the future to turn 
about. You know, there's a certain way that we think will be good for us. Now, it may be, you see, that God does ordain hardship in our lives. Saying that you shouldn't worry is not the same as saying that everything will be the way you think it should be. God may have a very different plan. And it may be that God has ordained that we pass through times of testing and hardship. However, that will always be better than the route that you had planned out in your mind. And so the path of the Christian is all to submit to the good and perfect sovereign purposes of God. And when we worry, we are kicking against God's sovereignty over our lives. So the proper outlook in all of this is to leave outcomes to God knowing that he cares for us. Now, as is so characteristic of all scripture, when we deal with practical issues, and and this is such a practical issue, isn't it? I mean, there's nobody here can say that they're exempt from from, uh, the temptation to worry. We know this road. We've been down it. It's very practical. And yet the answer that the scripture always gives is, is doctrinal. It says, think about certain truths and let them work their way through your thinking and your living. So the the Lord Jesus gives us certain key truths uh, or implies key truths that shape our thinking. And the first of these is to get our priorities right. Get our priorities right. And Jesus speaks about life being more than food and clothes. Life is more than food and clothes. We tend to be fixated upon things which are of lesser importance, don't we? And if life is more than food and clothes, then the spiritual is more important than the material. What is our great purpose in life? The chief purpose for which man is made is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's our great purpose. It's a spiritual purpose. Your great purpose is not to get to the top of the career ladder and have as many uh, toys accumulated in the house at the end of it. That's not your great purpose. It's to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The great purpose is not to be healthy. I said this again and again, but there's this great Scottish heresy that the man in the street trots out without thinking, or the woman in the street trots out without thinking. So long as you have your health, it's the main thing. How often have you heard that? People say it all the time, and it's so untrue. It's not the main thing. You can have a really healthy body and a sick soul, And after so many years, you'll go to hell. Why is your health the main thing? A proper relationship with the living God. The peace of God that passes understanding because we have entrusted our future to the Lord. I've accepted his forgiveness. That's the main thing. Being rightly related to God through Jesus Christ. That's the main thing. But your health is not the main thing. It's a gift from God if he chooses to give it. But it's not the main thing. And yet everybody says that. Which just illustrates Jesus' point that we have got our our perspective and our priorities so radically wrong. That is not what we're here for. 
We're here to know God. To reflect back his glory and to know his enjoyment. Eternally. Not just for a few fleeting years in this world. But forever and ever. Endlessly. Fully. Jesus is saying that yeah, these externals have their place. I mean, food and clothing are not trinkets. We'd, we'd, all, we'd all realize it pretty soon if we didn't have any food and if we, if we had no clothes to put on this morning, that would be a pretty dire state to be in. They have their place. Jesus is saying, but they're not the priority. They're not the main thing. And the fact is that very often we lose sight of the obvious truths and we, we just suffer from an enormous lack of perspective. Over a course of ministry, I've found uh, in a lot of very different situations that uh, people's problem is very often that they become fixated on things which are, in the scheme of things, not that important. And they obsess on uh, something which has gone wrong for them or they've encountered some little upset which in the, the whole picture is not significant. You know, it, it really registers zero on the Richter scale, but they've allowed it to become this enormous earthquake. And they can't think of anything else but this uh, one little lack, this one little grievance, this one dispute that looms large in their thinking. Jesus is saying that's, that's the case with the things that you worry about. You're not here uh, to, to have fancy clothes and fine dining. Uh, you're here to, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So if you make the first things the first things, you'll find that you won't be worrying about the things that are lesser important. We eat in order to live, not the other way around. And it's the same with clothes. It's not important to have a wardrobe full of designer clothes. That's really not important. But the world has got this amazing pressure on us to make us think that these things are actually important. Now, ladies, it used to be uh, your exclusive domain to have these glossy magazines that uh, uh, address lifestyle issues and clothing and looks and so on. But now, sadly, uh, men's magazines proliferate uh, on the same subjects, you know, how you look and what you wear and so on. And, and the world is telling us that life is these things. And Jesus is telling us, your life does not consist of these things. And so we come to church, we come to worship, and we have our thinking reorientated, don't we? That's part of what the Lord is doing for us this morning. We, we have our, our worldview readjusted. The world out there is telling us one thing, and God's word reshapes our thinking and tells us something radically, revolutionary, different. Our life does not consist of what we eat and what we wear. Life's far more than that. Therefore, declutter your minds, declutter your homes, get rid of the things that are not essential and get your priorities straight. Second truth to take in is God's fatherly providential care. This is this mega theme, this overarching theme 
that we, we find so healthful as we are instructed in it by the scriptures. God is our heavenly father. God is not remote from his creation. He guides and governs and preserves all he has made. Consider the birds of the air. I love this actually. Uh, Jesus, uh, Jesus is telling us to, to think carefully about creation around us. That, that's actually, this is a digression really, but it's very fruitful to do that, just to consider the workings of God's creation and to see behind it God's wonderful provision. Jesus is saying if we would do that more often, we would be well instructed. Consider the birds. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn. Yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than birds. God is the great provider. Wonderful. This great cosmic ecosystem. God has kept in careful balance. Isn't it a wonder the the way that... um, you have this tremendous uh, outpouring of, of song in spring uh, as, as birds, uh, whole bird life comes alive. Migratory patterns result in, in birds arriving in these shores and birds coming out and make, being so much more obvious and finding that God has provided for them and the worm and the grub, the food that they need. And all of this is of God. And as Christians, we're, we're called upon to take hold of this doctrine of providence and to believe it. Jonathan Edwards famously said once that every atom in the universe is so managed by God for the greatest good of the believer. Do you believe that? It's amazing. As far as the believer is concerned, this is a user-friendly universe. And the God whose eyes on the sparrow has his eye upon you. If you're his child, he cares for you. Why do you worry about clothes, asks Jesus. And then he points to the wildflowers of the field. Now this again is amazing because uh, this takes us beyond the the idea of being provided for what is basic to to God giving us beauty. God loves you so much that he provides uh, for things which are are beautiful and attractive and aesthetic. There is that aesthetic element to God's bountiful provision. That is amazing. God is a God of beauty and confers things of beauty upon his children. And wildflowers, of course, are such a, a good example of that. When, when we were living in, in Lewis, in Barbas, on the west side of Lewis, we were living uh, just a very short distance from uh, some of the stretches of Macher land, the, the sandy soil where uh, wildflowers just explode in the springtime. And to, to, to walk along the, the Macher is just an amazing experience. Carpets of wildflowers. This is just... Same thing as Jesus is speaking about here. Except in the Middle East, when the, the, the flowers of the field would, would come into uh, being and, and would, would, would 
would flower and would make a blaze of color, it was quite short-lived because then the sun would come and, and there would be a scorching heat that would mean that they were gone. I mean, God has provided this blaze of color. Uh, he has lavished his care and wisdom and power into something which is quite short-lived. <clears throat> Such is the prodigality, the overflow of his goodness. He cares to the extent of providing beauty in our lives. Now the point of all this is, is, is that God is not only powerful, but he's so loving. He's so loving, he's so fatherly in his disposition, in his whole relationship with you as a child. And you can trust him, therefore, for that. Your Father in heaven knows that you need all these things. And those of us who are parents don't have to be compelled to give good things to our children. You know, it's not something you have your arm twisted up your back before you go to, to do good things for your child. It's something that you want to do. Well, we have a loving Heavenly Father and He loves us far, far more than any earthly parent ever loved their child. And that, of course, means that he is not going to spoil us by giving things which would be bad for us or which would be a lesser good than the good he has planned for us. He will give us what is best for us. And Jesus is arguing that the right way to live as his followers is in the joyful knowledge that all of life is organized by the God who is our Father. Now, that is supremely Christian. That is the Christian way to live. Independence on God and with a conscious knowledge that He is our Heavenly Father. And contrary-wise, Jesus says it's characteristic of a pagan to worry and fret about the future. So you want to live like a pagan? Well, worry about the future. You want to live like a child of God? Accept the knowledge of God's fatherly care. And this third truth that combats worry is to believe and trust in God's sovereignty. And there's a simple truth expressed uh, in verse 27. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? What does worrying do? What does worrying do? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? That might sound negative, might sound a bit fatalistic, you know. Okay, sarah, sarah, whatever it will be, will be. What can you do about it? Just have to accept it. But actually, it operates in the opposite direction. God is sovereign over our lives. We can't add an hour to our lives because God has determined the length of our lives. Therefore, what is the point of fretting? What's the point of fretting? Instead, when you're in a situation where you're made aware of your lack, of your weakness, of your finitude, the answer is not to worry, but the answer 
positively is to rest on God's sovereignty. So every experience in life that points to your finitude, your limitedness, points to the fact that God is unlimited. Every situation in your life that points to your own limitations points to his lack of limitations. Every situation in your life that points to your weakness points to God's power. And so your limitations should not lead to worry. It should lead you to reflect on God's sovereignty. You can't add an hour to your life, but God can supply all of your needs. You can do all things. I can rest my future in him. Now the arguments have been piled up by our Lord. You know, there's one argument after another. You know, these, we've grouped them in three, but they, they, they come in particulars one after the other. Jesus is demolishing all pretense for worrying being a, a useful exercise. But for every negative, there's a corresponding positive. For every negative command, there's a po- corresponding positive duty. And if you're going to get rid of worry from your life, then you can't just have a vacuum. You need to, to fill uh, that space that worrying has left. Uh, having kicked worrying out, you have to fill the place with something else. And that's what Jesus says, verse 33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The positive energy that displaces the negativity of worry is the making the kingdom of God first in your life. Seek first the kingdom. Now the word seek, um, it's, it's tense, implies an ongoing commitment. It's the attitude that shapes my life, not just uh, in one momentary flash, but uh, in its day-by-day ongoing flow. It's The word seek implies a restless commitment uh, to pursue something. It's to desire uh, Jesus as king over my life in every detail. Every Christian must seek the rule of Christ over every part of their lives. And we do that by submitting our lives to Jesus morning by morning, evening by evening, moment by moment. As we meet with God in the scriptures, as we pray, as we take a daily decision to take up our cross and follow him, to deny ourselves first place and to give Jesus first place in our lives. It means honouring God in my conversation, keeping his name holy, keeping his day, the Lord's day, holy. It means seeking God's kingdom socially, So I want to see uh, Jesus honoured in my work. The workman or workwoman who seeks first the kingdom offers up their work to God and has a life of integrity before others. Means that I want to see the grace of Christ shape my relationships and my family and friends and neighbours. It means also that I want to see that kingdom uh, grow geographically so that the, the number of God's people is, is drawn in uh, in the surrounding area, in the, the place I live, in Coatbridge and Airdrie and Calderbrooks and wherever, but also to the ends of the earth. 
and seeking his kingdom. And, and that desire for God's kingdom doesn't evaporate in, in a kind of fuzzy, warm glow, but it takes a practical shape because I'm willing to actually speak for Jesus when I have opportunity. I have a missionary outlook, a missionary commitment. I, I want to become a, a fisher of men. I want to have my place in the activities where evangelism takes place. When I pray the Lord's Prayer, I pray with meaning that line that goes, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus calls us uh, to first seek the kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God. So the, the seeking of the kingdom, the seeking of God's rule in my life, in my relationships, the extension of his church, is a priority which comes before everything else. Now that, that again is challenging. For, for some people who, who name the name Christian, if they were honest... Their Christian life is a leisure activity. Their commitment to church is a hobby. Uh, it, it fills in you know, some of the, the spare leftover hours that they have. They put in an appearance at church. And that's really it for the rest of the week. And Jesus is talking about the kingdom seeking being a, a priority. Seek first the kingdom of God. So I may have objectives in life. I may have things that I, I want to secure in my career and so on. Are they first? They can't be for the Christian. They have to find their place behind my commitment to the kingdom of God. That's what it is to have a kingdom output. Everything else, my career, where I live, my friends, the, the things that I do in my leisure time, they are all serving the great purpose of the advancement of God's kingdom. Does that show? And it's to those, and those only, that give a priority to the kingdom, that Jesus gives the promise, all these things will be given to you as well. Oh, how we'd like to claim that, you know. Oh, Lord, yes, no, give me the, the clothes and the food and the, the, the future. But it's a promise to those who are Seeking first the kingdom. Because such a person has shown they have a real trust in a loving Heavenly Father. And they're free of worry. They're not gripped by a, a preoccupation with food and clothing. Because they have a, a new and glorious obsession. A new and wonderful preoccupation. And that is the kingdom of God. That's what fills the horizon of their thinking. The extension of God's kingdom on earth. Other people coming to know the rule of Jesus in their lives. Jesus being more fully honoured in mine. And God doesn't forget to provide for such people. I love the way that Jesus finishes off on such a caring and practical note, you know. It's almost as though Jesus is saying, for some of you listening, this is, this is hard stuff. He says, I know how, how prone you are to uh, those worry beads and to worrying about things that you really ought not to. Well, here's, he says, a very, a very simple way to start. Just think about today's issues. Today is enough to concern yourself with. 
Break the challenge down to bite-sized portions. The things that you dread about tomorrow may never materialise. Deal with what's on your plate right now. Hand your cares over to God. Wasn't that a lovely expression in the psalm? Cast your burden on the Lord. A father with broad shoulders who is able to carry our burdens. He will see you through. May God bless to us his precious word. When peace like a river 